Greetings, friends, and welcome to episode 77 of Spellcast. I'm your host, Andreel. It will be just me today, and it will be me for the next couple of episodes. Courtney and I have been quite busy during these interesting times that we are facing. We hope you and your kindred have been safe during the time of coronavirus and all of the other current events that are affecting us all right now as a country and as a world. This virus took three people from our family, and we are still feeling the effects of that to a point, and we are trying to make sure that we can still do our jobs correctly and still get ahead in these trying times. So we thank you all for your patience and your continued loyalty to our brand and to the Daimonikos Productions. We greatly, greatly appreciate you. Today, I'm going to jump right back into magic in regards to the alphabets, in regards to language, in regards to topics I've spoken of before, like a matria. Now, for those of you who don't know, the Gamatria, essentially, in this particular context, is the original languages, their original letters, they were set to number. We're speaking a bit more in the Western world as opposed to the Eastern world, which is pictorial language, which uses characters. And the characters of the East, I believe that there are somewhere around, I want to say there are like 10,000 or more than 10,000 characters. I'm a bit more well-versed in, in Western related magic than I am Eastern magic, excluding things like the Chimeridians and the the zodiac signs of the East. But uh, in relation to the language, I'm still learning. So if anyone would ever want to come on that has the knowledge of these particular things, please, by all means. But today we will be talking about magical alphabets. And a big reason why we're talking about magical alphabets is, well, I've created my own. I've created an 84-letter alphabet for my coven family, and it connects to many of the ancient languages. I've combined the ideas of many of the languages I'm going to speak to you today about. So, the Gamatria, in what it is I'm going to talk to you about, has to do with Semitic languages, such as Phoenician, Arabic, and Hebrew, but also the Mediterranean language of Greek. Now, Greek and Latin go together like bread and butter. However, the Greek alphabet is a bit more developed in gematria and code than was the Latin alphabet. But the Latin alphabet and the Roman alphabet, and was what led to the alphabet that we use today, is much more efficient. And for that reason, it was easier to write, it spread throughout the world uh, with ease, and, as I said, is the source of our modern standard. But Greek had a depth in words like no other, and out of any of the alphabets, it was arguably the most developed in regards to the symbology surrounding number. I have many books and sources that I can give reference to. Today, we will be referencing Miranda Lundy's book in numerology and number. It's part of a bigger series if you ever read books on the trivium, the quadrivium, and the other, you know, liberal arts. 
we are also discussing from Nigel Pennington's book, Magical Alphabets, quite simply entitled as such. We will also be referencing Futhark, a handbook of rune magic by Edred Thorson, and the Little Giant Encyclopedia of Runes, uh, credited to Serona Knight. Um, uh, disclaimer, little asterisk. Um, some people have said that there was some plagiarism surrounding that particular author, author with this book. Uh, these are just things that I've heard. I am neither confirming nor denying any of these things in particular. All I'm saying is that it's a, it's a good resource. It's a good reference resource um, when you need to look up something specific in a moment's notice. But... Primarily, I will be talking first about the big four. So, Greek, Phoenician, Hebrew, and Arabic. So, each letter is set to number. And for that particular reason, for those of you who have worked with the Kameas or the magical squares, have seen them both in standard Arabic numerals, but also in Hebrew lettering. Because, once again, number and letters are synonymous. And that means that the numbers are synonymous with a particular type of sound. That means the vowels, and that means the consonants. I will be referencing some of my prowess as a classically trained vocal performer in this, and I, I hope my logic can be followed. If uh, there is anything more that you would like me to elaborate on, please feel free to comment and contact us as we reply as, as often as we can. We usually try to do 48 hours, because, I mean, especially now things have been so busy. Uh, <laughs> I don't know about anybody else, but our, our workload really didn't change. It's just we kind of had to reallocate where the work was going, because there's always something to be done. And uh, I hope you all follow your passions in the same way. So, I, I specify the difference between the vowels and the consonants because the vowels were actually used by the Gnostics to represent the seven heavens. They were also used to represent the spheres or the planets in classical astrology. So, the sun, the moon, Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter and Saturnus. So, obviously, things have expanded since then. We have since discovered more planets in the sky, more deities uh, distantly, uh, but we will reference those more in astrology. But talking about this will lead into further topics. So, I implore you uh, in the next parts of these series that I will be talking about, because what I'm going to try to do is record a bunch of recordings uh, this one particular week, and then we will release them over the next couple of weeks. We're going to try to do seasons now because life is, is heating up and uh, we'll tell you more about that. So without further ado. So in I will go uh, from, uh, from from left to right with uh, all of these languages, so to speak, as I have them in front of me. So the Greek alpha, the Hebrew aleph, the Phoenician aleph, and the Arabic alif all equal number one. They are, in fact, the first letter that people usually recall in existence. And the big thing that has to do with them, and in another episode, I will further elaborate as to what these letters actually mean, what they represent. But the vowel sound ah is usually about beginnings. It's about the start, the spark. What gives movement in life? 
And the big thing here to be understood was movable wealth. The first letter often had to do with cattle. In the ancient world of farming and ranching, that was the way to start a society. You had to have cattle, which was basically called movable wealth. Things that allowed people, you could build societies around these particular things. When you have a, a substantial food source, a way to interact with the earth in a way that is efficient enough to keep everybody well-fed, satisfied. And when everyone is well-fed and satisfied, then you can think about higher knowledge, logic, philosophy, your, the deeper sides of your emotions. Create religion and spirituality and, and all the liberal arts. So that has to do with number one. It's a very masculine uh, number for that particular reason. The next one, we obviously know beta or veta. Um, in Greek, you'll hear sometimes B's and V's. That sound is kind of interchangeable. And you'll hear that in many other spin-off languages, such as the Romance languages. You'll hear it in like Italian and, and Spanish and especially South American and Hispanic Spanish. You'll hear that a lot, you know, when you hear the name, uh, the name Stepanos somehow turned into Esteban. So it's when you really understand the positionings in a person's tongue and lips, you see how accents develop. But beta, bet, bet, and ba, uh, as respectively follows uh, Greek, Hebrew, Phoenician, and Arabic, is number two. It's a very feminine number. Uh, once things started getting real Christian, that was looked at as the adversary, the thing that is separate from light. For if we look in the Bible, the phrase was, let there be light. There was never the phrase, let there be darkness, which implies that darkness was simply there already. And that goes further into the logic of the trivium versus the quadrivium, the three versus the four. It's very interesting concepts when you understand. And I implore you to listen to me very esoterically, friends, um, because I'm trying to convey with direct words as much as possible, but... There is many more things hidden uh, within what these things actually mean that transcend the words. I think I've said this before in a previous episode, but or episodes, that essentially the quadrivium is mathematics and science. They exist whether you understand them or realize that they're there. It's your dark side. They will keep happening because it's the world of matter. And we live in the world of matter. But the world of matter is guided and organized by the light, by the mind. These are uh, Kabbalian, these are Kabbalian uh, understandings. So that the, the mind moves the matter. But if the matter is not respected, and if it's not thoroughly understood, it will certainly come back to bite you. Not because it's inherently evil, but because it's, you know, things have to teach you a lesson. You know, we must respect everything. Respect is the key to moving things. Where there is no respect, there is no civility. Where there is no civil debate, there can be neither peace nor balance. So, uh, beta is two. Gamma, gimel, gimel, and gim. Uh, respectively, again, as follows, Greek, Hebrew, Phoenician, and Arabic. That is number three. 
After the separation, things come back together, arguably the first rung of the Kundalini. It's interesting because Rama and Kimmel, if you listen really closely, there's a reason why it sounds like camel. A camel, this is about actual movement now. How to travel, get to one place to another. This is how trade begins. The first connections. Things have to exist first, then you have to diagram and separate it and understand it, then you must bring it back together. Macro, micro, and then macro perspective again. Then you have delta, dalet, dalet, and dal. Greek, Hebrew, Phoenician, Arabic. You're getting the pattern now, friends. That has to do with number four. And I, like I said, um, I will keep going because now I'm looking at the time and I'm going to see that I'm going to jump into the meaning of these letters in the, the next podcast. But we will get through. So, epsilon is number five. And this is where things start to deviate a little bit, friends. So, epsilon in Greek is number five. But in Phoenician and Hebrew, it is he. And in Arabic, it's ha. So the thing that's interesting is that you'll see the ch sound or the h sound. And I specify the difference uh, for those of you who, who don't know the difference because there is a reason for it. Uh, one tends to sound a little bit more like a German ichlaut, where is um, like in the word nacht or nicht, uh, whereas um, like the letter H straight, like is it's kind of interesting. It's pronounced kind of different in uh, Northern European languages, but they actually didn't have a word for a letter for H in Greek. Usually H's are implied by an accent at the beginning of a word or before a particular vowel. So uh, one the accent in the beginning will determine if you pronounce an H or not. So now some people will say that once you get to once you get to a he uh, or chi or a kai, uh, depending on how you want to pronounce that, how anglicized it, it is or not. Um, some people would say that that was an H sound, but that's more, uh, again, the, you know, it, it, the pronunciation is very slightly varied. Some people would say it's semantics. I say that magic is uh, very much understanding nuances. So usually the bigger the gap between one's understanding of nuance and semantics usually depends on their comprehension of the culture and their ability to uh, make things move in a sound and efficient motion paired with a, a quality uh, that is, how can I say this? Uh, uh, basically, quality and quantity have an equal ratio with each other. One is not valued over the other in a way as in one is better versus worse, as opposed to it being in the appropriate hierarchies. And what I mean by appropriate hierarchies uh, is, is that light is supposed to be over darkness. That isn't because light is inherently better than darkness. That just means that one has to exist for the other to exist. It's the illusion of separation that kind of confuses people. And when you service one over the other, you usually end up destroying your body. For example, I notice a lot of people that tend to be excessive light worshippers and they fear the darkness and the darkness is usually synonymous with all evil. Uh, I usually tend to notice that their bodies are very damaged. That there's that, and that's just a consistency. I'm not saying that light worshippers all have damaged bodies, and I'm not saying that dark worshippers have the most uh, 
have the, the, the strongest physique of them all. It's not that simple, friends. It's that there has to be an appropriate balance of such for things to exist. There must be the foundation to the pyramids for the point of the pyramid to even exist. So, and when you look at the, the teachings of many backgrounds of spiritualities, you will certainly see that. Is that light uh, is contoured by darkness, and darkness is given a different, uh, a different purpose and a different shape with light. They both shape each other, and then people will say, "Oh, well, what? Uh, who is shaping who? I mean, why is one the absence of the other?" Now we're getting into semantics again. But so uh, epsilon he he and ha are number five. Now we're getting into an extinct letter. For those of you who don't know, in ancient, ancient Greece, they had a couple of letters that have now since uh, been discontinued because they were, um, uh, the, the sound-wise, the efficiency really didn't work its way out. You have uh, digamma, digamma as opposed to gamma, which is basically shaped like the modern F, Um and that was used for number six. But some people, they'll just straight up take it out because no one really uses it for spelling anymore unless you're trying to do something heavily with code, in which case someone would have to have the knowledge of that. I would argue that some modern Greek speakers don't even really know of digamma, coppa, and sam or sampi, um, which we will talk about, again, for coding purposes. But the letter for number six does still exist in Hebrew, Phoenician, and Arabic. That is vov, or wa, or Again, va, again, or va. Um, pronunciations may vary, friends. I'm, I'm really only well-versed in Greek, Latin, Italian, and a little bit of Hebrew. Um, I'd like to learn more Hebrew because I'd argue that you can't truly understand the Bible without knowing Latin, Greek, and Hebrew. You'll, you'll understand the New Testament with Latin and, and, and Greek, but you obviously probably couldn't understand the original Old Testament unless you unless you knew Hebrew. And that's why it is one of my great quests to really learn these languages as fluently as possible. Um, I strongly recommend that everyone does that. It doesn't mean that the English translation is bad, friends, but the thing about English that's interesting is that it, it's very efficient. It is a very efficient language, and that's why I believe the Western world has developed around this particular language in such a way, especially since the expansion of the Industrial Revolution. It's just, it's such an efficient language. Um, but if it, its efficiency, in my opinion and observation, seems to be rooted in the fact that it separates types of talking in a way that the other language uh, languages don't. And what I mean by that is Latin and Greek are, and, and Hebrew and Arabic, they're all very poetic by nature. They, uh, there is no, there is no uh, poetic versus non-poetic speak, even if in the most casual of conversations. So, you know, there's a reason why there are many words. Like A big thing you will see is like the many words in Greek for love. You have eros, you have philia, you have agape, you have ludus, mania, and the list goes on. You know, so uh, there's very different ways of describing these, these things. And a lot of the words for these traits or these, adge these adjectives, these, these nouns, all of these things come from come from the gods and what the gods did. It's very interesting in the story of Kalamos and Karpos. It's a very interesting thing. Um, the word uh, Kalamos means reed, pen, quill, you know, the, the extension. What are, and what do we do? We have to understand the, the symbology of writing. 
When you write something, you solidify it. You make note of it. You bring it into the light. Textbook understanding of the trivium again. We were going back to that particular conversation. The quadrivium is the dark side. The trivium is the light side because it's grammar, logic, and rhetoric. Now we're creating language and symbols and direct ways to recognize these things, to see them, and to directly communicate them in an efficient way. That's why light guides darkness. You know, so it, it's it's very layered. And now you can also feel the <laughs> the mania in me being taken over as my voice speeds up a little bit because I love these things. It's so intricate, and, and I implore you to love it too because it, it will help you so, so much. But, so yes, uh, the symbology of writing, getting one's thoughts down, it's the key to critical thinking is, is teaching people how to write in as many ways as possible. Whereas, um, so that's kalemos, and for that reason, where you get the Latin word for pen uh, or writing implement, kalemus, um, usually us implies Latin, us implies, uh, implies Greek, unless you end up getting into plurals. But that's, that's the thing, friends, is that people think Latin and Greek were spoken separately. They weren't. There was, it's a weird hybrid of the Mediterranean languages and how they, how they created the spinoffs that they did. But Greek managed to survive mostly. And that's, that's a beautiful thing in and of itself. And that, that did the depth in the, in the, in the Greek culture is what has saved it. Um, but karpos, the lover of kalamos, karpos means fruit. But, you know, so we think the understanding of, of the fruit, the fruits of, of labor, you know, the prize, you know, because the, the roots of something are bitter, but the, the more bitter the root, the sweeter the fruit. And it's a very interesting thing, and it gives some validity to the, I, I believe it was Aristotle who said, it was either Aristotle or Plato, that said, um, the fruit, uh, may, uh, you know, the roots of education are bitter, so uh, the fruits of it will be sweet, you know, and that's what creates amazing societies. And then you get into the debates about philosopher kings again, and, and what, what defines one, and, and how that can affect a society. Now, but the thing about carpos, that's another thing that most people don't realize, is that it actually has another connection within the symbology of the human body. For those of you who know me, uh, you know I'm a reflexologist. I'm, I've gone through the Laura Norman School, which I, I strongly, strongly recommend. I'm actually finishing up with, uh, I'm going over, uh, finishing up my last tail ends of what it is I need to do with my other uh, certifications. And we were going through uh, the hand again. And I've studied anatomy for years, friends. But uh, one thing just hit me. It, it came closer to my face again. I'm like, wait a minute. Carpals and carpos. When you look at, an, when you look at the, the anatomy of the hand, you see that the carpal bones and the metacarpals. Meta means beyond, friends. So metaphysics, things beyond physics. Meta, meta world, meta, you know, like that kind of stuff uh, means beyond or, you know, uh, expanded upon. It, it, there's a lot of layers to that particular word. And the, the, if you look at the hand, it looks like the fruit before the flowers. And what it is I'd like to do, I'm going to see if Courtney can put a, a visual up or we can find a way to tell you at least what to search up so you can get a visual of what it is I'm talking about. The relations basically between a, 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 a fruiting and, and flowering plant in relation to the hand and how the fruit, 
was guiding the read. It, it, there's just so much poetry there, and it's so beautiful, but it's maddening. It's very, very layered. So my point being is that these, these uh, languages are very layered. There's a lot of things going on with this that I really want you all to keep in mind. So number six was digamma, wa, vov, and va. Um, number seven, zeta. Zeta is pretty self-explanatory. It's a z sound. Uh, zain, zain, za is number seven. Now the thing, the interesting thing about uh, the word zain in Hebrew, in particular, and I will elaborate more on this when I talk about the symbology of every letter, friends, is that zain actually means uh, prince, uh, royalty, but it also has to do with the saber, the sword. Uh, the thing that, and that's why we knight people with the sword. It's really interesting to see how much of this is in everyone's collective subconscious. Number eight is eta, and this is where we get into het, het, and ha. So, and that's where it gets a little bit confusing. There are two different ha's in Arabic. That's uh, you know, you get the the a sound or some people say a like the diphthong a like day or a which is a singular uh sounding vowel as opposed to a diphthong uh and epsilon is a sounding so um that one's number eight number nine is theta theta which is a sound uh in hebrew and phoenician is tet and ta in arabic Number 10 is yota, yota. Now, I's and Y's were very interesting in the ancient world because E and how we know the common sound for Y, like, like the letter Y in, in modern English, is still the Y sound, like that flipping, that uh, the, the J glide, so to speak, for those of you who know IPA. So, the E sound... Uh, in the ancient world, uh, people would argue that the sound i did not exist or that the differences between e and i are kind of semantic. Um, I suppose that would depend uh, on the collective opinions of certain linguists, but it's different for singers. You definitely have to understand the difference between e and i because one could argue that you cannot sing past your passaggio in an e. It might be dangerous unless you're you're mixing incredibly. Number... Number 11, the 11th letter, but also has to do, now we restart again in the gematria. So number 11 becomes 20 as well. So then it goes, so basically it's like 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100, uh, 200, 300, 400, 500, 600, and so on and so forth. So basically you're still counting 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, because in numerology everything reduces. You just, you cut off the extra digits or you add the digits together. And zero is a very interesting thing. There are a bunch of Arabic and uh, uh, Arab and Middle Eastern mathematicians that we will get into in the symbology of number. V very, if you really want to truly understand mathematics, you can't stick in the straight West. You have to go to the Middle East. And it, it became interesting after the expansion of the Abrahamic religions uh, in that particular area, 
Um, Things became a bit more heated. That's just history. So, you know, it is what it is. But, you know, you continue to look, friends. Always continue to look. There is truth in everything. Um, So, yes, kappa is the Greek sound. In Hebrew, you get kof. And in Arabic and Phoenician, you get kaf. Number uh, 30 and number uh, the 12th letter is lambda. And in uh, Phoenician and Hebrew, you get lamed and lam in Arabic. Uh, Interesting uh, symbology. Lambda actually is a large symbol in the LGBTQ community. I want to say particularly in the lesbian community, it has been used to uh, signify uh, fellow solidarity among among lesbians. It's a uh, it, it's a beautiful symbol when I see it worn. I I always love seeing um, Greek iconography being used in current events. It keeps the culture alive and it adds new layer uh, to modern culture as well. Um, the thirteenth letter and number forty is me uh, in Greek uh, mem. Mem and Mim in Hebrew, Phoenician, and Arabic, respectively, so that M sound. And the uh, number 50, which is number 14, is Ni, or Nyananu, if you want to pronounce it Anglo-Saxon. Well, Ni, the Knights who say Ni. Um, Nun, Nun, and Nun in the other respective languages. Kind of funny that me and me actually correspond with the feet and have to do with Pisces for that particular reason. Um, a big thing that's interesting, we'll talk about this more, is that it's kind of funny that Jesus of Nazareth, the birth of Jesus of Nazareth, was happened during the time of uh, the coming of the age of Pisces, Pisces. And the thing that's fascinating with that, friends, is that Jesus of Nazareth washed the feet of his disciples. And Pisces has to do with the feet because it's the 12th house. Uh, For those of you who don't know, and we'll talk about this again more, but if you want to get a head start, look up anatomy relations to the zodiac signs. Or anatomy in the zodiac signs, or the human body in the zodiac signs, whatever whatever comes up. Um, So yes, I'm going to continue on. Uh, Now... And number 60, which is the 15th letter, is Xi. Xi. So uh, that's the, you know, the X sound. It's uh, K-S-I or a modern X, one could argue. Not to be confused with He, which actually looks like the X, which we will get to in Greek. Um, but this is where things start to, start to veer off again in regards to the slight differences between Greek and the other Semitic languages. Uh, next to C, you have uh, Semek, Semek, and then Sin Sad, Hebrew, Phoenician, and Arabic, respectively. Omicron, uh, the O sound, as opposed to the O sound, which is basically an open O, which you will get to in Omega. Um, at Omicron, you have uh, Ayin. Ayin and Ayin in uh, Hebrew, Phoenician, and Arabic, respectively. 
Then it comes back. Then we unify again for the most part. You have pi or pi. Then pe, pe, Greek, Hebrew, Phoenician. But then you have fa, which is a very interesting thing. And I'd have to understand the Arabic language a little bit more to really communicate why that is. So uh, Arabic speakers who listen to us, I'd love to really... Um, see some parallels if you could tell me uh, in regards to the other languages. So much more to be learned. Number 80, 17th letter. So now, uh, here we are to an extinct Greek letter again. This is Copa. Kind of looks like a Q, but instead of the little uh, extension off to the side, it's pretty much down the middle on the bottom, or it kind of looks like Venus's mirror before they added the crucifix uh, part to the alchemical symbol. Um, Q sound, uh, it's kind of kind of extinct. Um, well, not kind of, it is extinct. But then you get into tzadi, sadi, and uh, tzad, dad. Notice the difference between Hebrew and Phoenician. Tzadi versus sadi versus sadi. It's just, uh, there's a difference between s and tz. Wait, it's kind of like a T before the S. That is synonymous with number 90. Now we have Ro, which is can be confusing as hell for English readers because it looks like a P, but it's the R sound. Um, and you have Kuf, Kof, and Kaf, Hebrew, Phoenician, and Arabic, respectively. Number, oh yeah, and they are number 100. Uh, number 200 is Sigma, and now, now Greek is ahead again with the S as opposed to the R. So... Resh, Resh, and Ra. 300, we have Tao, Shin, Shin, Shin or Sin. It's 300. 400, we have Ypsilon or Upsilon. Tav, Tao, and Ta. Hebrew, Phoenician, and Arabic, respectively. It's number 400. And then we get to the end of the archaic Phoenician alphabet. Now we will only be dealing with Greek, Hebrew, and Arabic going forth. Now, a funny story. Uh, now, I, I did say Ypsilon. I want to go back to Tau for a brief moment. Oh, my. I'm actually I'm, uh, I'm looking at the time, and I need to take a quick break. So we'll be right back. <laughs> And we're back. So I was going to start with um, symbolism in regards to Tao. Tao is uh, very interesting because um, just something I noticed. You guys can take this for whatever it is you think it means. Some people will say coincidence. I'm not a person who believes in coincidence in the mundane definition of that word, as opposed to the esoteric definition of that word, which is coincidence, things that coincide with one another. The uh, word for gold in Greek is chrysos. The word anointed one in uh, in every particular background, for this in, in particular with Greek, is Christos. And Jesus of Nazareth was often depicted as having a gold aura to him, especially during the Transfiguration. Now, the only difference in between Christos and Christos is the Tau, which is the cross and the crucifix and the crossroads. Very interesting. What are the odds, right? So, continue to look in that, friends. So, now, Greek, phi, or phi, 
It's very interesting, which denotes the golden ratio and the golden ratio and how it used in the rabament uh, for you artists out there. Um, number 500. Now we're getting into the extinct letters of Hebrew. So you get kof, tha in Arabic. The following um, letters are, I believe, extinct in Hebrew. But uh, then you have he, which is that X, that's 600, mem, and then ka. Then you have psi, nun, dahal, 700, omeka, uh, pe, dad, or da, 800, sampi is an extinct letter in Greek. Uh, then Tzadi, again, in this particular context, I think is a bit different, or sometimes they will use it to just denote 900 as well. Then Ta, Kyan, and these, ah, man, some of these words, forgive me for my butchering of uh, anything Arabic, friends. Out of all of these languages, it's the least known one to me. Um, And that's the only one that makes it up to 1,000. Now, my particular alphabet that I've created is centered around these symbolisms, but also the symbolisms of runic. The thing that's interesting is that even though the vo- even though the sounds of these things are quite different in the Germanic language and the Norse Germanic language, a lot of the ideas are the same for the particular letters. And one thing that's interesting is that even though fehu, uh, which is the F sound in Norse, starts at number one, uh, and A, the A sound, starts at number one for all the other languages that I have uh, stated in this particular episode. The thing that's interesting is that they both have to do with cattle. In fact, Fehu talks about the legend of Adumla, the cosmic cow that licked the ice that um, created existence by melting it through licking it. It is very interesting. These stories all blend together. They blend together a lot. Understanding the key differences is what is how we understand how societies were created. Nuance creates society. Nuance creates contour. But we all draw from a lot of the same sources. As I stated in my last rambling, which was on my birthday, May 4th, I believe, um, I talked about how divinity exists everywhere simultaneously. But much like music, it exists and it doesn't exist simultaneously, which is maddening. It's a paradox paradox is where you'll find truth but you can't stay there too long otherwise you'll go crazy unless you plan on ascending which you know i think we should all consider doing that um coming to the highest point of what human beings are capable of what anything is capable of really but yeah so this is uh, i'm gonna jump in right here i guess we'll we'll talk more about the norse alphabet uh their numbering system they have 24 letters and they go in in a particular order, they don't necessarily expand into the into the double and triple and triple digits like these others, but they do go from one to twenty four, and there is a reason for that. And uh, the significance in numerology is a lot. We'll be diving more into one of my favorite books, uh, Nigel. Uh, <sighs> Oh, wow. Why am I blanking on his name? I literally just said it. <laughs> Andrew Pennington. Uh, his book. Um, next time as well, when we talk about more of the symbologies of these particular letters. But no, dear friends, that I can't give away everything for free. And Which brings me to my next 
my next part is that I have been teaching a lot of classes lately. We have recently expanded our Daimonikos Productions company and page. We have been teaching a lot of online classes now, obviously considering the current climate with the virus. Setting up things in person has been quite hard. Um, so for that particular reason, we have been doing a lot of online things on Zoom. And I try to give everyone as much as possible. Sometimes I'll teach by the hour. Other times I'll, you know, I'll, if I feel like I haven't given enough to you, I will uh, work with everyone individually at some particular point. I also offer private lessons in the occult. My accreditation spans from over 12 years of research and experience in this particular craft. Um, I can give you all of my references, uh, my bibliographies, I write out my own compendiums on many different things. I'm a Reiki master, a ceremonial healer, a high priest in my coven. There's a lot of things here that um, I can give you information on. We teach things about the West and the East. I am currently uh, one of the few people, at least in my own in my own hindsight that I keep seeing uh, is connecting the ideas of the East and the West, namely uh, things in regards to magic, for obvious reason. We have philosophy symposiums. We have, uh, yeah, we have debate. We have a wide variety of things, art, music, you name it. You'd probably be more hard-pressed to ask us what we don't do as opposed to what we do do. Um... Keep your heads out of the gutter. I'd say do-do. Um, so, in any event, uh, if you want to learn more about magical alphabets, or if you want to learn more about um, alphabets of desire, which we will be talking more about in the next episode, uh, alphabets of desire being, uh, there's the modern, there's the modern uh, Wolf of Antimony, who I praise very constantly on this. I wonder when he'll actually uh, <laughs> cross paths with me. I know it'll be soon. Because uh, I admire, I admire your work, man. I admire it a lot. You, you're a brilliant, brilliant soul, and I feel as though we can create some cool stuff together. Uh, you, me, and some other mages. Um, but excluding the shoutouts aside, there's also the Enochian alphabet. Some people see the Angelic alphabet, the Mages alphabet. There is the, um, there is the. Uh, uh, the Theban alphabet. How could we forget that one? That one's used very often in modern witchcraft. Understanding these people and where it is these things come from are key. So we teach the history. We teach a wide variety of things that I don't necessarily make readily available at the podcast. Though I do reinforce it for those of you who have not listened or would like to hear it in a different way or would like to hear it with the charts or the pictures. Now, I've been teaching for a long time and we, uh, our production company, all has accreditation in teaching in some particular ways. I've had the privilege of teaching privately and, and teaching in schools, um, as has Ignatius and Courtney and certain other members of our immediate and uh, faraway coven. So uh, I, I implore you, take a look at the Daimonikos Productions page. It's on We are on Instagram and Facebook. Daimonikos is spelled in the English alphabet, D-A-I-M-O-N-I-K-O-S, followed by the word productions. It's pretty much us. You can't miss it. 
Uh, we were teaching all sorts of classes. I worked with Aristotle's 12 virtues, the symbolism of color. I know I left off some of the, uh, the elements in uh, a previous podcast. I talked about the masculine elements from my grimoire, and we still have to talk about the feminine ones and ether. And then we talk about the elements of the East, and then a class on how the elements of the East and the West relate to each other. There are so many layers to this. But, you know, we must uh, all work. We must all get ahead. We are still trying to create daimonia, and that takes money. So we were not the ones to coin the phrase that not comes for free. So for that particular reason, come on by, friends. You know, it's whatever it is. And if by some chance you really want to learn, and but the money is an, is an issue for you, talk to us. And we can certainly work out some sort of barter system or perhaps a payment plan. We are very flexible because we believe that if everyone acquires this knowledge, they will greater be able to enrich their lives and acquire more particular things. There's a lot of layers and nuance to this. But, you know, we must all eat and we must all live lives optimal uh, in relation to the capacities of our mind, our hearts and our souls. So much love to you all. Um, we are going to be doing a wide variety of things uh, coming up. So I think that's everything. Usually Courtney is much better at all the constant promotions because she's always constantly doing it. She's the one who manages most things, friends. If you want to speak to me directly, ask to speak to me directly because I just, I get cockeyed looking at social media. I'm already promoting so, so much as it is. So thank you so, so much. Uh, blessed be. And we hope to, again, please come, comment, talk. Just keep it respectful and keep it, uh, you know, if you want to debate, if you're coming here, merely to try to prove somebody wrong, rest assured, I nothing you say will be taken seriously. I can promise you that, because hostility is not respected in this particular forum. So, uh, in any event, uh, blessed be, and also, oh, one more thing. If you have any suggestions for any particular episodes that you might want to hear, please feel free to ask us. We go through so many things, but it's, you know, there's, there's a lot. We try to make these things work in a wide variety of ways and we can usually only get to the podcast when it is we can and like i said you know we have to we have to put work first we we are both still work 40 hour weeks on top of trying to make this work and uh expanding upon all the things that we are trying to do so and we will elaborate more on that as as things come so um please uh uh consider making donations to our patreon and our other other particular things we have uh, recently updated and we're offering new uh, perks that come along with those particular things. For those of you who have remained uh, loyal uh, patrons to us, we thank you so, so much. Uh, when Daimonia is built, uh, there is certainly, you are certainly the first on the invitation lists. So keep that in mind. Um, if you'd like to know more about what Daimonia is and what it is we are trying to do, dear friends, uh, feel free to ask us. And we will tell you as, as much as we think you can handle. So, uh, again, thank you so much. Blessed be. And as my lovely co-host says, there's a little witch in all of us. And as I always say, the spirits live in the mirror. <laughs>